Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. Okay, so one of the biggest problems, I'll let you know, one of the most common problems with relationships today is communication. Communication. I mean, let's just think about it just for a moment. Poor communication at work between a boss and employee, it creates a diminishing work environment, doesn't it? I mean, do you really like to be in a work environment where the boss can't communicate to the employees exactly what's to be done, or, or it's just horrible communication? I've been in a, a situation, I remember back in the day, um, it was, uh, I, I used to do boat installations of all electronics, you know, we would make uh, panels and everything, so we, we did just about all the wiring. We did the 220 volt, 110 volt, all the way down to the 24 volt installations on boats. And the owner of the company, not my direct boss, but the owner of the company did not know how to talk to employees. He would get in your face and he would cuss you out and that was his, what he thought was effective communication. And no one wanted to work for him. The other owner of the company was the sweetest guy you'd ever meet, could just come up to you and if you had failed at something, come alongside you and show you exactly how to do it, and he was the effective communicator. But no one wanted to be around when the other guy was in the office. So in a company setting, communication can either set people up for success, because you can be speaking vision and truth into people, and they'll want to work in that environment, or it could diminish it to where people are jumping in a boarding ship. And that's in a communication of a work setting. But pouring communication in a marriage can also do the same thing, can't it? It can fracture the trust and affect the love and respect that God says that the husband and wife seek. The husband seeks respect as the woman seeks love. And so poor communication in a marriage sense can affect that, right? Between uh, what the husband and wife seeks. Poor communication in friendship. How can you grow in a friendship if you never talk? So we see that we have a direct cause and effect with communication in relationships. Why? Because communication is the key to growth. And it makes sense, it makes sense that in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, of all the things that disciples had seen Jesus do, he had fed thousands of people twice, not just once, but twice. He had sat them down on the green grass, and it says that he had fed thousands of people. Now, most scholars believe that it was between twenty and 30,000 people at a time that Jesus was feeding with just a couple loaves of bread and fish. 
They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to break bread and fish. They had seen Jesus heal blind people, lame people, and demon-possessed people, and they didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons and to heal people. They had sat at the feet of Jesus and heard Him preach some of the most amazing teachings that had ever taken place. In fact, at 12 years old, it said that the rabbis, when they heard Jesus speak, they were amazed at His knowledge. And they didn't look at Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us this knowledge that you have. But no, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, let me get there myself. It happened that while they were in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to communicate between our Father above and ourselves. Jesus, we realize we are weak communicators. I remember when I was in school, I have never been really good at math, okay? I I own up to that. I've never been really good at math. I had to get tutored, and then I had to get tutoring after tutoring, okay? Okay? Uh, because I needed somebody to tutor me what the tutor had said. I remember that I went to uh, geometry because I had always done construction, and I figured, you know what, this is my last math class I have to take for uh, college. Let me just go ahead and take geometry. I understand geometry. It comes a lot easier than other advanced maths. It was either geometry or calculus, and I said, geometry wins. So I'm sitting in geometry class, and my teacher had the thickest accent in the world, and I didn't understand three quarters of what she was saying. And I remember because I was so nervous, I was, you know, paying for my own college and things like that, you know, and when you're doing that, it's not like when you're a young person in your 20s and your parents are paying for college, it's like, oh, well, if I fail, mom and dad's going to bail me out, right? That's how they take the stance. But here I am, I'm like, no, I have kids. I'm paying for this. I'm getting an A. So I'm there taking as many notes as I can. And, you know, I'm sitting there and this lady, she keeps on getting up there and she's saying, okay, and it's so important that you find the variable. And I'm going, what in the world is this variable I am supposed to find? And looking back in my notes, I even have a little circle in my notes with exclamation points everywhere that says, what is a variable? Find it. Now, I remember as I took that first test, I still didn't know what the variable was, and I was so worried about it, and I bombed that first test. And I was like, man, I know geometry. Why am I failing this? I don't understand it. So I went to my buddy who is a math guru, and his name is Gino de Jesus. (laughs) And I said, Gino, what is a variable? I am so confused, man. This lady, she keeps on saying that this is the most important thing, that I have to understand what a variable is. And I've I've looked through the entire book. I've read all the lessons ahead, and I don't... I've looked up on Google, and Google doesn't know what a variable is. What is going on here? And he goes, oh, let me think. Let me see. What is... Okay, um... Oh, the variable. And I go, oh, that makes sense. 
You see, communication is so key to understanding. And sometimes we just don't know where to start in our communication with God, do we? And that's where the disciples are coming. They're like, Jesus, we don't know where to start. And we need you to teach us. You see, the the disciples had seen Jesus spend a large amount of time in solitude. Just calling out to the Father above. Yeah, the scripture says that before he would meet with large groups of people, that Jesus would go off by himself to pray either on a mountaintop or in the garden. And a few times it actually says that the disciples would wake up and they were going, hey, where's Jesus? And they would go off and look for him in a secluded place and they would find him there praying. But then after that, Jesus would go to the crowds and commence just healing and speaking and doing these great and mighty things. And it just speaks to us that if Jesus saw it as important to communicate to the Father above, being the creator of all things and God in flesh, how much more important is it for us to get off by ourselves and spend time with the Father alone communicating? Before any big decision takes place in our life, before we go out and speak, before we go out and communicate, before we do anything, we need to be talking to the Father above. And that's the biggest lesson that our God in flesh gives us in this passage. And the disciples had been watching that. Because they don't say, Jesus, teach us how to teach. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to heal. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to do any of those things. You see, in a religious sense, the priests, they would go and they would pray for forgiveness and for help and for sacrifices. They prayed with incense and with candles. Their their prayers were routine and practiced. A lot of times they would go in and, and actually pray a psalm or something of that, and it was ritualistic. But they had seen something different with Jesus, their rabbi. He would get off and he would start talking and he would say out loud so people could actually see and hear him. He would say, Father, thank you for listening for me. And I don't even have to say these words right now because I know that you're always listening to me, but I'm talking to you right now so the people that are seated here right now can hear me talking to you. And that was something new. They had never experienced that. Rabbis, typically, they would have these rehearsed prayers. They would have the psalm prayers. And that's what what their go-to was. And here Jesus is saying, Father! Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm talking to you. And I want people hear me talking to you. Because Jesus was teaching them how to have a conversation. An effective communication to the Father above. So after being asked, Jesus, hey, teach us to pray. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, if you take a look with me, and it's the same in Luke chapter 11, but uh, we're teaching in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and uh, to 8, Jesus says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, 
so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, they're not praying to be heard by God, but by people. He says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret, He'll see what is done in secret and will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that with their many words they will be heard. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. To start, Jesus gives the instructions to His disciples how they should approach prayer. Or in fact, I think He gives the example of how not to approach prayer. Do you see that? He says, the hypocrite approaches prayer with routine. Have you ever been guilty of that? I know I have. You sit down and you say the same prayer at every single meal. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. I'm about to eat and bless it and yada, yada, yada. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Hey, Lord. Right? And it was a common practice of the Pharisees of the day. They would stop at certain times and it didn't matter where they were. They could be at a merchant booth. It didn't matter if they were on a street corner. It didn't matter where they were. They would stop everything they were doing and they would do the same prayer in front of everybody out loud, banging their chest, doing all the different things to have the face of a holy man in front of the people. And Jesus is saying that has no depth because it has no presence of God. There's no need to shout at God because He's listening to you always. There's no need to to call out in big, long words because He says, listen, it doesn't matter how many words in these and thous that you do. God wants to hear your voice. So when you're talking, He says, I don't want you to use words that are meaningless or just ramble together. I want you to talk to God the Father because He's your dad. The goal is not to have the sight of a hypocrite, somebody that's being seen, but to get personal. Jesus says, your prayer is a call to dad. Take a look at it. Verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. You're calling for divine intervention. You're doing a personal call to attention to the God that is above and sees all and knows all. You're saying, God, I need your help. Or Lord, I need your insight. God, I want something here. Have you ever heard the saying, when all else fails? When all else fails. You ever heard that? Anybody with me? Raise your hand. Let me know. When all else fails. You know what that's saying? That's a horrible saying. It's saying, when all else fails, then I'll ask for help. When everything goes to the bottom and I'm at my bottom, then I'll ask for help. That's a horrible way at looking at life, isn't it? Uh, When I used to do the youth ministry, we would always take a group of kids to Peace River. And it was one of the funnest trips because it's a stress trip. 
because you're doing a lot of physical activities um, and then everybody's having to be responsible for cooking meals and you know there's no restrooms outside and the showers and things like that and so you have to shower inside of the water and and there's alligators and things. In fact, one year we had uh, one of our guys, he was taking a shower inside the water or bathing inside the water and a little baby alligator popped up right where he was and he was freaking out and he looked kind of like, you remember in the, in the movies where the person can run on top of the water? That's what he looked like. He was like, ah, boop, 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 boop. He was out of there really quick. Yes, you were, Brian, don't lie. He was running on top of that water. It wasn't Brian, by the way. So I remember this one year, um, it was one of the, the, the more recent years, we took a group of kids, and this time we opened it up where we took 6th and 7th graders, usually it was only 8th graders and high schoolers, and we took the 6th and 7th graders, and they thought they were the big shots, you know, and, and we were like, hey listen, if anybody needs help, we're going to help you guys, and so the high schoolers, they had already been, and so, you know, they, they, were, they were asking for help, and we are all helping, all the leaders are helping everybody set up their tents and get everything situated, and we had like this base camp area, but the 6th and 7th graders, they were like, oh, we're going to stay up all night, and we're going to eat candy and do all this stuff, and so they wanted to be separated from everybody else, and so we were like, hey guys, can we give you some, you know, just insights here we want to tell you no 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 this is the perfect place we have our place picked out and yada yada well they had this big 10-man tent that they decided that they didn't need any of the sticks to hold their tent up (laughs) that what they were going to do because it was the better idea was they were going to take string and they were going to tie it to the branches of the oak trees all around them at the bottom of this little hill well, we tried to talk to them. In fact, Gino in particular, Gino de Jesus, he came up to me. He's like, guys, I don't think this is a... And they're like, oh, come on, we know what we're doing. I've tented a million times in my backyard. And so that night, we got this crazy monsoon of water. It rained all night long. In fact, we had um, tropical storm type winds uh, going up to 50 miles an hour that literally just flooded everything. And all night, all we heard was, man, you're the one that picked this place. This is the worst. Why didn't you tell us to tie it up against the tree branches? This is, uh, I have so much water in here. And so in the morning, we all got up and we went down And that low land that they had said, no, we need to set up our area right here, was underwater. And those boys had stayed up all night dealing with the winds, knocking down their tent constantly and just lifting it up and putting it down over and over and over again. And they literally slept through the next two days because they had stayed up all night dealing with that. And they missed out on some of the greatest fun times that we have. And I say this because people take that stance when all else fails, ask for help. And these boys could have avoided the biggest mistakes of missing out on some great times in life if they had accepted the guidance of the leaders that were there at that time. Instead, they felt they were big men and could handle it. And the result was soaking underwear for the next three days and sleeping through some of the best parts and of one of the funnest trips that we have. In our spiritual life, we do the very same thing. 
we take this reverse order of things, don't we? It's like, well, God, if I mess this up, then I'll ask you. We take the approach of these boys. If this messes up, then I'll ask you for help in the morning when my tent is flooded and I have no more clean underwear. But God is saying, and the example of Jesus is saying, when you start, before the big question is approaching you, before you go out and minister, before you wake up in the morning, our Father, who's in heaven, before you make the decision, go to the God above because He wants to hear you. Don't reverse the order of things. You see, we mess up things and then we say, God, intervene. And God's saying, before you mess up things, ask for my opinion. We need to start by asking for His guidance. Start with the Father. In my home, we have a thing called talk time. Talk time. Our kids can request time with, uh, with Meg or myself or with both of us. It doesn't matter. And they get an uninterrupted time where we just sit down and we listen to whatever they have to say. Their dreams, their thoughts, their fears, their problems, their joys, whatever it might be. And they don't have to worry about us judging them or any of those things. We're just happy to hug on them and listen to them no matter what it is. We're not there to fix the problem. We're there to listen to the problem. And in verse 6 of, of, of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us that same understanding of what is to take place. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door behind you, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's saying, listen, God is going to listen to your talk time. Go to yourself. Go by yourself. And spend time with God alone asking for the talk time that's so important to all His children. Jesus goes on to the do's and don'ts in verse 7 and 8. Take a look with me. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that with their many words they will be heard. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. He's saying, do not come to God with a pre-baked prayer. Don't come to God with the easy-bake oven. He does not want a written, practice, recited prayer. He wants to hear the voice of His child. He wants to know your worries and your doubts. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have a tendency to act like we're not the children of God. You know, it's just like when our kids do it to us and we get frustrated for those of us that are parents or those of you that aren't parents but have dealt with your own parents, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about here. We act like they don't know what we're thinking and we just give them the simple answer. Right? But they know what we're thinking by our actions. And that's the same thing with God. And He's saying, listen, I want you to talk to me. Just say it. I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you say that I'm struggling. 
Even though I already know you're struggling, I want to hear you say it because sometimes the biggest healing in your life is actually speaking it out and hearing it yourself. Because God's saying, listen, I'm always listening and I always know because I'm your Father above. But I want to hear your words. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your thoughts. He doesn't want you to give Him things that you think He wants to hear. Prayer is personal. Prayer is not a pattern. I remember the first time I had an open conversation with God. A true, just open conversation with God. I was about 12 years old. You see, back then, you'd, you, I would sit down to eat, and my mom would say, did you pray? And I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. Right? But I remember the first time that I truly, truly had a conversation. I was 12 years old. My brother and I were hanging out in our room. We were having a slow morning, and my dad came into our room, and he said, hey, listen, boys, uh, I need you to be the men of the house because I have to go to Detroit. Grandpa's sick. He's in the hospital. And we looked at our dad, and, and that's when things become serious, when you hear somebody sickened in the hospital. And we said, well, Dad, what's going on? And he said, Grandpa, they found out that he has cancer, and he's going to die. They opened him up, and it was everywhere. And so they don't give him long to live. And that was serious. When you hear those words, it's serious. And we just fell down on our faces and began to cry, just weep. Because my grandpa was my buddy. My grandpa was my best friend. I looked up to my grandpa more than anything else. And hearing those words, grandpa's dying, it was scary. And I didn't know what to do. So what I did was I just fell on my face and I started crying to God. And I said, God, God, don't take my grandpa. And the only words that I could think of at that moment were, Lord, heal him and take away his cancer. But I remember two weeks later, my grandpa passed away. And I was mad. At 12 years old, you get mad because you don't think that God listened. I said, man, I, you know, that was the most sincere prayer I'd ever prayed and God didn't listen to me because I didn't get my grandpa back. Well, now looking back, I look at it and I said, no, actually God answered my prayer with the biggest miracle in that moment. You see, selfishly, my prayer was, Lord, keep him here with me. But God heard the part of God heal my grandpa, take away the cancer. And I'll tell you right now where my grandpa is, there is no cancer. There is no pain. And he is in a new body. In fact, he's not in the old body that he left here on earth. He's in his new glorified body with his Father in heaven. And so God heard the cries and the prayers of a 12-year-old boy who was being sincere and not asking for anything on himself and saying, Lord, here, oh my grandpa, I can't stand him being in pain anymore. Talk. Cry. God wants to hear your voice. And in this prayer, Jesus is saying, you want to know how to pray? Talk to the Father above. When was the last time you just spoke to God? Because He wants to hear your voice. When was the last time you just cried to God? 
He doesn't want a spoonful feed or pre-baked uh, you know, prayer. He wants to hear the voice of his child. And even when the words don't come out, just pray. And even when you don't know what to say, just pray. And even when it's too painful to even think about, just pray. And even when you don't know what to do or the steps that are going to be confronting you or what's coming next, pray. And before you even think of an action, pray. And before you go out and make a decision, pray. Because Jesus is saying, when you go to things, you go up to God and you say, Our Father who art in heaven. He's saying, God wants to hear your voice. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know what that's saying is you are declaring for everyone to hear the most holy God is listening to my prayers. And He's just not my most holy God. He is my Father and He cares for me. Scripture says that He's a good Father. And you know what good fathers do? Is no matter what it takes, They put it all on the line for their child. Some people weren't blessed with good fathers. But the day you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became child of the best father that there is. And that father saw you helpless in your situation, not being able to help yourself. And to show and prove and cleanse you, He sent His Son to die on the cross for all the sins that you've ever done and ever will do. That's what a good father does. He goes above and beyond no matter the cost to Himself. The words that are used here, the verbiage that's used here, it says, cry out, Daddy. In the Greek text, it says, pater ermon Oh, literally saying, cry out the Father of us. God, I need you. It's a cry. It's literally just a a howl. God, I need you in this moment. Galatians 4, 6, Paul puts it this way. Same idea behind this. Because you are sons of God, God has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts in which we cry Abba, Father. That's a prayer in itself. I'm crying, Abba, Father. I have nothing else to say because nothing else can put the words in the right way. So I'm just crying. Dad, help. You know how many times this little one right here, she's not very little anymore. She's going to be mad at me that I'm bringing this up. She's already giving me the eyes. That's what her mom does. But this little one right here, there's been so many times when she gets into a conflict. And as she comes to talk to me about it, it could be that she got in trouble or a friend's acting stupid with her or something like that. Or maybe she did something and now it's confession time. She comes up and the only words that she can get out is, Dad, Dad, 
And that's all that's needed. She can't say anything else because the emotion overcomes her. And that's what God's saying here. It doesn't matter what you put with dad. I just want to hear your voice. The most holy God, how will it be thy name? He says, I give you the right to be called my child. So cry out to me. The word that's used here, we cry out, is the word kradzo, which literally means to have an ununderstandable noise. It's literally what scripture uses it in other areas, is like the, the, the cawing of a bird. That's the Greek word for that. Kradzo, a crying. It's a, the noise an animal makes. It's saying, hey, look, even though God can't understand or other people can't understand the words that you're saying, God understands. He understands what's here. He understands your hurt. He understands your feelings. He understands the situation. And before any other situation masks itself or unveils itself, go ahead and go to him. With groanings too deep for words, as Romans 8 tells us. Because your dad wants to work in your life. Our Father who's in heaven. It's not a rehearsed prayer. It's not a prayer of standing in a street corner to be heard. It's not a prayer to show off to anyone else with meaningless words and repetitions. It's not a word or any other type of thing that's taking place to let people see how holy you are. It's just talking to your Father who's in heaven and saying, God, I need your divine intervention. I need your help because you're my dad. It's like a child that falls off their bike running to mom and dad for comfort and help. Abba, Father, I don't necessarily need you to fix this moment. I need your comfort in this moment. That word helper, it's the word parakletos. And it means literally to come alongside in a moment of need. And that's the beauty of what God wants to do in our life. In the moment of our need, He wants to come alongside us. But you need to call out with your groanings too deep for words. Church, the application of this passage of the Lord's Prayer is so simple. We need help. We need help. And the Lord didn't make us to be alone, did He? So cry out, Abba, Father. John chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that we have been given the right to be called children of God. Think about that. You have been given the right to be called children of God. So cry out to your Father above. Abba, Father. Just listen. Talk. Communicate. That's what your prayer life is. And if you want a healthy relationship with Him, you'll do it in order to grow. Amen? Amen. It's not a religious practice. It's a way to grow in your life with Christ. 
Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.